0: Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the San Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Wednesday so far, halfway through the week. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about on the podcast today. I'm going to be getting into the previewing San Diego Comic-Con. It is officially back this week. It all starts tomorrow, Thursday, July 21st. I'm going to be breaking everything down from all the big Hall H panels that we're going to be getting. All the the potential announcements that we could be getting this weekend for Marvel, for DC, and so much more. I'm also going to be getting into some trending trailers that have come out both for anticipated movie and TV shows that are set to come out in the next couple of months. Also going to give you the weekend preview and so much more. But the first thing that I want to do talk about and moving into movie news first is not to talk about, of course, a big television show or anything like that. There's Miss Marvel's done. There's nothing else kind of coming in the wings for Wednesday right now, so we're going to to have a few weeks off for that but in terms of movie news there's definitely a lot of stuff to get into and the first thing that i do want to talk about is the official reveal and announcement that finally dune part two is beginning principal photography after a lot of anticipation and hype and and wondering is dune part two going to happen we got the announcement last year after the success of the first part That it is going to be happening and now that cameras are rolling we're finally going to be putting something to visualization things are actually starting to happen they're beginning to film and we got a lot of big announcements that we kind of knew what was coming with a lot of the casting announcements but we also got some some announcements and some details about some of the crew that is returning for this sequel the second part of the story and also talking about some locations that they're going to be filming in as well so with the announcement, there was also a picture of a of a clapboard, a marker board that you see whenever they're beginning a scene. It kind of gives you the. the- Clap sign and it basically kind of helps indicate the scenes that they're trying to, to, to make basically so whenever they go into post production they have an idea of what the shot is what what take it was what scene it is and so it's a, it's a very big detail and so they had a picture of that and it basically said part two and it said long live the fighters and I think for a lot of the Dune book readers who love the novel and the story overall I think that gives an indication of where this section Film is going to be going, and along with all these details, we also got the first synopsis for what this second part is going to entail. And this is what comes from Warner Brothers and the official Dune account. The follow-up film will explore the mythic journey of Duke Paul Atreides, who has clairvoyant powers that may enable him to guide humanity to a better future. Now united with Shani and the Fremen, while on a warpath of revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family, facing a choice between the love of of his life and the fate of the known universe. He endeavors to prevent a terrible future only he can foresee. And right alongside Dune Part One, this one also has an incredibly stacked A-list cast that sees the return of people like Paul Atreides himself, and Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Stellan Skarsgård, Josh Brolin, Dave is coming back, Stephen McKinley Henderson is coming back, Zendaya, Javier Bartem, or Bardem, excuse me, and then along. Alongside them that are coming in for this movie are some legends that are in the field right now. You have Florence Pugh coming in playing the princess Arjulan, the emperor's daughter. You have Austin Butler, who's coming off of the high of Elvis from last month. He's set to be playing the the Harconian prince and the nephew that is going to be planning to be the kind of the successor to Arrakis and Stellan Skarsgård's character. You also have Christopher Walken coming in playing the emperor of kind of all these colonies and galaxies and he was kind of mentioned in the first part but was never seen and Christopher Walken is going to be taking that part and you also have Lisa Dew coming in who's playing a character in from the novel as well and then of course you have cinematographer Greg Frazier who is off the success of both the Batman and winning an Oscar for Dune he's coming back for part two and also you have Hans Zimmer coming back to do the score and won his second Oscar in his illustrious career for the work that he did in the first part. So everyone is kind of coming together once again to make this film. And I think that is that's kind of unique because uh, e- even though this is again a the second half of a of a big story, whenever you you start a new chapter and create a new film, sometimes you will have people that are coming in that maybe the schedules don't aren't able to line up, they're not able to come back to work on certain craft departments. But be, for but for Denny villeneuve to get everybody back to this to this film, I think is able to deliver some kind of consistency in the look, in the style, but also being able to expand the world of Arrakis and and this galaxy and all these worlds that he's planning to really kind of go further in depth with. And I think for a lot of people that had questions with Dune Part 1 being kind of more of a setup than actually diving into the story, I think people will be excited and I think satisfied in what they see in Dune Part 2 how they're able to really kind of evolve the story and really dive into the world of the Fremen and I know people probably went to go see Dune Part 1 for Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet teaming up and you're going to see more of that romantic relationship really kind of blossom in this part so for the younger audience that was looking for that in Part 1 you're definitely going to be getting a lot more of that in Part 2 as well And, and the crazy thing I think about this one and the potential for this film is the fact that because of the pandemic because Dune was also facing the uphill battle of Dane Date release on both in theaters and HBO Max. That was one of the big worries for this film was that it was already kind of a huge risk. A lot of these adaptations of, of sci-fi novels, of novels in general that aren't really based off of franchises but have the potential to do something, it, it might not do as well. And Denny Villeneuve is somebody before Dune, and even before, really before Dune in general, he didn't have a lot of box office. Misses like Blade Runner 2049 was a huge box office bomb, but it was a, 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 an amazing movie, and some argue it to be more superior than the the sci-fi classic that was the first Blade that Ridley Scott did. Then he did films like Sicario and Arrival, Prisoners, and those were smaller films. Arrival was a big Academy Award contender, but it didn't blow up the box office, and so I think there was a lot of. A lot of nervousness going into Dune of can this make the money so that they're able to do the part two and fully realize the story that is so big and vast and was always preached on for being unadaptable, yet Denny was able to have the vision and the foresight to craft something that is able to be on the big screen. There was a lot of of pessimism going on. and There was a lot of of skeptics. Can it actually work? And I don't think people doubted that it would be great because Denny Villeneuve is somebody who really, consistently makes phenomenal big screen anticipated movies that you need to see on the biggest format possible. None of that was in question. It was just about can the finances recuperate that? And Dune was able to exceed all of that. I think it did well on HBO Max and made over $400 million at the box office, which if we weren't in, in pandemic ties, especially back in October of last year in 2021 when it came out, the box office could have multiplied. I, I believe if it came out This year, around this time, it could have done a lot better. Maybe it makes $600, $700 million at the box office worldwide than what it made originally. So, the fact that this film is going to be coming out next year on November 17th, well over a year after what we're already experiencing with the box office right now and people going back to theaters, people seeing the film on HBO Max, even now, now that it's fully on there for people to to experience, it might develop a following and a viewership that get people out to go see the second part of. Of this film, and it's got the cast to do it, it's got the name recognition, it's got the talent all there lined up, and that's the thing about this cast is that sometimes you'll get the name recognition there, and maybe the, the, the acting will be up to par, but people will go see because so-and-so is in this movie. But when you look at the cast for this film, it's got the name brand, but the talent is backed up. Timothy Chalamet, fantastic actor. Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya has now proven to be a fantastic actress. Dave Bautista has proved to be a really good actor actor. Stellan Skarsgård is somebody who you don't even need to question how good of an actor he is because he's that good and has been around for a long time. Florence Pugh is one of the best actresses in the game right now. Austin Butler is now fully kind of coming to his own and people recognize him on a bigger level than he was prior to, to being in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. You know who Christopher Walken is and you know the talent that he can bring to any film, both weird or straightforward. You know he's going to bring it every single time and they're going to be here to fully realize Denny's vision that think all this is just going to come together and really knock it out of the park and deliver something I think truly truly incredible and i think especially since they filmed the first one before the pandemic now this one's still kind of on the tail end of the pandemic but a lot of the restrictions for covid have kind of lessened the bubble restrictions are still there but they're not as tight as they were the last couple of years they're going to places like budapest abu dhabi again jordan again italy to film this so it's going to be another extravagant multinational international shoot that they're going to do filming at all these practical locations and and that's one of the reasons why the first dune is i think so special is that you had the visual effects but all of it was pretty much practical on on a big major scale and we're going to continue to get that with this second part so there's a lot to look forward to with this getting the entire crew back and all the crafts departments getting the the almost the entire cast that needs to be in this movie, while also adding some stellar new cast members for these amazing roles, as well, I think is gonna deliver something truly spectacular with this film. And if, again, for book readers who know what the second part will entail, I think for a lot of people that haven't read the books, Are looking forward, need a little bit more action, want some more high stakes involved with the second part, I think you're going to see that fully realized in this second part of Dune. So what do you guys think about Dune part two finally going into principal photography? We're finally getting this film. It's going in front of the cameras. Again, footage is being locked in, ready to go, being edited, and we're going to be getting this film on November 17th of next year, which is going to be going up against the Hunger Games spin-off, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and the third Trolls Trolls film. So that's going to be a very interesting box office weekend as of right now to look forward to next year. All right, moving on now to some trending trailers that have come out over the last couple of days. And the first one that I want to get into is for a highly anticipated film that is set to come out around the October window. And that, of course, is the teaser trailer for the final installment in this new revitalized trilogy or franchise restarter in Halloween and that is Halloween Ends which is once again directed by David David Gordon Green, Jamie Lee Curtis is back as Laurie Strode And the synopsis for this final installment is that it takes place four years after the events of Halloween Kills, which came out last year, and it showcases Lori living with her granddaughter, Allison, and is finishing writing her memoir. Michael Myers hasn't been seen since. Lori, after allowing the specter of Michael to determine and drive her reality for decades, has decided to liberate herself from fear and rage and embrace life. But When a young man, Corey Cunningham, is accused of killing a boy he was babysitting, it ignites a cascade of violence and terror that will force Lori to finally confront that evil or the evil she can't control once and for all. So that is the synopsis for Halloween Ends. And for me personally, I was a fan of the 2018 Halloween. I thought it was a, a great kind of revitalization, a great direct sequel to the classic Halloween from the 70s, and what was really kind of the kicker to this kind of slasher horror th- horror film that we all know in today's day and age. And it created a one of the great villains of all time in Michael Myers, an absolute icon. And so I, I we, we've had so many Halloween sequels throughout the years that are just absolute duds. But what David Gordon Green and his crew were able to do in 2018 was bring Lori back and bring it into the modern day and also bring some great new scares, have it be fun, but also kind of dive into the world of, 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 of PTSD and what that night meant to her all these years later and how isolated she is. And I think it also was a great kind of generational story telling all the, these three women that are from the same family and Lori, her daughter, and her granddaughter. So the 2018 film, I think, was really fun. It also delivered some great laughs as well, which is why I had so much excitement for last year's Halloween Kills, and that was a complete dud. I mean, it was everything that, what I liked about the 2018 film, everything opposite of that is what I didn't like about last year's movie. I think it, it also tried to be too much in doing flashbacks to the original Halloween films and try to make it this mythology and all these callbacks that, they, I think they were able to keep it simple and and and, and good and, and okay in the 2018. 2018 film where it was really just kind of callbacks to what Lori was dealing with. This one it was trying to include all these different characters that were all grown up from that first film. And I think it was too confusing, it was it was just too much, and there wasn't a lot of Lori in the last film. It was more following the the this this these town people that were trying to rise up against the hysteria of Michael Myers, and it just it just didn't work. And the kills weren't cool, it just wasn't the fun of the 2018 film. So going into this one, I had a little bit of skepticism, but but I was hoping, hearing that it was going to be taking this time jump, and I think that was one of the problems with Halloween Kills, was that it was taking place literally right after the events of the first film, literally minutes. You can go literally segue from Halloween 2018 to Halloween Kills, and it's like recapping one big night, and I think that hurt the film a little bit with last year, but this year, I think moving and really kind of pushing the timeline is able to allow you to breathe a little bit and tell it. interesting story, and I think with this film, just seeing this minute and a half teaser trailer, it feels like what I enjoyed about that 2018 film, where I think it's going back and simplifying it once again, where you're dealing with the battle between Laurie and and Michael Myers. And, and I th- do think the one thing that was interesting is kind of the, the twist ending that happens at the very end of Halloween Kills. I think that's going to play very well into this film as well, especially with the granddaughter, Allison. So there could be some things in here that go back to what you got you to this place in the first time in 2018. And, and I think this trailer does a really good job of that. I like kind of Lori really kind of standing up to herself, like it says in the synopsis, against Michael. It seems like they're really going to be going somehow toe-to-toe with one another, and I think that's going to be really cool as well. So I I think for a first trailer, I think it got people that like me that maybe were a little bit more skeptical of how this was going to end back on the side of, of looking forward to this film come October 14th. And I think it could be a film that does really, really well at the box office again, because if you look at even Halloween Kills' performance last year, even though it got critically panned, it did really well. In theaters, And and that was at a time where studios are still, and they're still doing it today, but more so with a lot of their big titles, tinkering with it, doing day-in-day release or streaming. It did very well at the box office, grossing, I believe, 40 to $50 million its opening weekend. Not as much as the first Halloween, but to gross almost half of what you did in, in the middle of a pandemic and then do very well potentially on Peacock. I think people are very intrigued by this. So hopefully that... Energy is still transitioned over to this movie. And the fact that around October, people want to get scared. They want to go to the movies to be thrilled and and and, and kind of squirm in their seats a little bit, especially if you're trying to go on, on dates or bring friends. That, those are the movies that you want to go see around that type of year, which is why I think that the the, the the first film back in 2018 did so well was because of that it was entertaining and hopefully they're able to deliver on that again and i think they'll be successful if they do that and have the word of mouth but deliver all the scare the the scares in the thrills at the same time as well so this one definitely has the potential to be a big time hitter and i think that's what theater theater goers theater exhibitionists everyone's looking forward to because right now there is a little bit of a lull i mean there's still some things coming on the summer but really kind of middle you <laughs> through the middle of August all through September there's not a big blockbuster like a Shang-Chi last year to get you excited and so Halloween ends before Black Adam comes out the following weekend on October 21st that's really where the blockbusters start to pick back up again so a lot of people are going to be looking at the success of what this film could do and especially since it's going to have the label like a lot of franchises are doing nowadays where if they're revitalizing something they do three films or are labeling it as this big grand finale this is the one for the halloween franchise as of right now labeling it the final grand standoff between these two iconic characters i think it'll definitely draw some attention come october 14th what do you guys think about the halloween ends trailer let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts and now moving on from movie trailers to tv trailers and the one that i want to talk about on this podcast is for arguably the most anticipated show for the month of August this year, and that of course is the Game of Thrones spin slash prequel in House of the Dragon, which takes place thousands of years from the events of the original Game of Thrones show, and basically depicts the the reign of the Targaryens, House Targaryen from which Daenerys comes from, who was played by Emily Clark in the the first show, the main show, and now you have a cast of characters that include actors such as olivia cook you have reese if reese ivans in there you have matt smith so obviously when it comes to game of thrones that has become a name brand within hbo and now warner media hbo they want this to kind of be a big franchise that they have in their pocket moving forward in tv and they're trying to really kind of capitalize on that and of course Game of Thrones does come with some some kind of a baggage with it especially after the final season in 2019 people might be a little bit on the fence of of what's happening with this franchise and the fact that they may feel like, well, they're milking it out. They're doing all these prequels. You just needed the one show. Why are we doing more of this? And I agree with you, but I, I, I would agree with that on on most franchises. But I think what makes Game of Thrones so unique like Lord of the Rings does and, and, a lot of, and a lot of fantasy medieval kind of epics like this is that there's such a rich, vast history that was explored in the Game of Thrones show that you can kind of go back in time and explore all these areas and you won't be kind of chained no pun intended chained to the the original show. And, and you have all this leeway to do something new and original. And you have somebody like Miguel Sabanajek who created some of the greatest episodes of Game of Thrones. And he's coming in as a showrunner and director to work on this prequel. And judging from the first trailer, I was somebody who, again, didn't really know if he wanted Game of Thrones, but I was excited about this. I think one of the great things about learning from Game of Thrones was the Targaryen legacy before Daenerys, before they were kind of exiled away from the World of 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 Westeros and King's Landing, and to kind of see that play out like this, I think is gonna be very intriguing. And but but still I was kind of like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And I said this about Westworld, and it's kind of completely changed with that since watching the show. Maybe it'll be the opposite with, with House of the Dragon, but when watching the trailers for Westworld, I was not intrigued to kind of go back to that world being vested in the show again. Thank God I, I didn't listen to myself because I, I loved the season so far. And I'll talk about that on a future episode of the podcast. But with Game of Thrones, with that trailer, the first teaser that came out, I was all the way back invested into going to West Coast. It reminded me of what made Game of Thrones great and why it's considered a landmark television show. It went back to the grittiness the focus on characters and politics, but also delivering on the spectacle that isn't seen really anywhere else in television. And I think that they, it seems like they delivered on the first, trailer. Now going to this trailer that came out today, it just kind of amplified more of that. The characters look amazing the world, you you have some callbacks to the Iron Throne and King's Landing, but it looks a little bit more new, not newer, but polished and very much something that happened a long time ago, whereas with Game of Thrones, there's more stuff that's kind of ancient and relic like, even though you can see some of that in House of the Dragon, things are very much more kind of polished and clean, especially in the world of of King's Landing, so it, it all looks great, the CGI looks fantastic, and I think the budget from what I heard about this one is reported to be overall around 200 million dollars so and you see that budget working especially since you are dealing with the house of targaryen and it's going to involve dragons so you're really going to have to put a lot into the budget just for vfx alone and it seems like they were utilized to a good point we'll see if they can work on it just a little bit more before it comes out on august 21st but overall it looks good it looks like it's lived into that world that doesn't look like a VFX shot that sticks out in, in any way, shape, or form. So that's the kind of stuff you really want to see. The characters look great. I think the actors know the roles that they're playing right now. To see Matt Smith in a show like this in a starting role is going to be great to see because a lot of the stuff he did kind of before, when it comes to these big franchises, it's always been supporting stuff or stuff that isn't really kind of fully fleshed out. Hopefully, he, get, he gets that with this show, depending on where it goes. It seems like we're, we're going to be dealing with multiple storylines like Game of Thrones did but also in, in, newer, interesting ways that I'm very excited to see depicted in, in, in house of the dragon. So overall it, it it sold me on, on what to think. And, and I think the big question is going to be, are they going to be able to sell it on people that might've jumped off ship after the final season of game of Thrones? So I think that's really where the big question is, are they going to be able to get that viewership back up again for people that might be a little bit more on the fence? And, and again, I think this trailer can get people back onto the boat and, 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 and going along with this show and this franchise because it is great. And listen, even though for some people that maybe didn't like the last season or two of the show, the show for a longest period of time was amazing, and there's a reason for that. And I think they're going to go back to the basics in delivering for why the show was what it was when it came out initially. So what do you guys think about the trailer for House of the Dragon? Again, it's premiering on HBO, HBO Max on August 21st, so it's only a little around basically a month away today's the 20th of july so it's literally right around the corner a month or so away from premiering on the service what do you think about it let me know down below and leave your thoughts now to move on to some additional items that i want to talk about on the podcast and I want to turn to a 2 year anniversary that is officially or or not not a 2 year, excuse me, a 10 year anniversary that is happening today and it is the 10 the 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 10th birthday for the final installment in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy in The Dark Knight Rises, and just a mere few days ago, it was the 14th anniversary for what is arguably the greatest comic book movie, one of the greatest films of all time, at least in my view, in The Dark Knight, so... This is kind of the sweet spot where we kind of remember the greatness of what those films were, and for me, it's kind of crazy to think that The Dark Knight Rises is, is ten years old. I remember when I first saw that film back in 2012. That was really the last midnight experience that I had going to a movie theater before they kind of shifted it away and they did more what we see nowadays, where it's six, seven o'clock the preview times on Thursdays. The, really, the last two times that I went to the movies for midnight premieres was for two Warner Brothers films in Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 2 and The Dark Knight Rises and they were both incredible experiences that I had. It it, it was a film that had a lot of pressure on it. Again, it was coming off of a a film that stunned a lot of people, both with performances like The Joker, with Heath Ledger who posthumously won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. It it was a great film, so there was a lot of pressure to see Nolan would be able to even match it or somehow exceed it and while it it never exceeds it never exceeds the Dark Knight. It's still an, an, an incredible film that really kind of brings together all the themes that I think Nolan wanted to say from his first film with Batman Begins to, to the conclusion of this movie where it comes into the Batman being a, a symbol for all people. It's not just a man. Multiple people can kind of wear the suit and the cape and about kind of of, of, of social classes, the rich and the poor and, 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 and policing and, and what happens after you win the uh, war on crime kind of the peacetime that ensues but letting your kind of guard down terrorism it all kind of came together everything he was trying to do for those three films i think all those ideas were kind of brought together in a really in a really satisfying way i i I have some issues with the exact ending but i think again it, it goes to show the themes that he was trying to tell he really drives home in the last 10 or so minutes of that film whether it's george joseph Gordon Levitt's character, who kind of gets the Easter egg, Easter egg name Robin, takes over the mantle of Batman, or whether it's it's Gordon getting the bat single bat, signal back, or Bruce Wayne kind of living out his life with Selena Kyle plays by who is played by Anne Hathaway, it it all kind of comes together where it's not just one person, it's the idea and how to kind of pass that on, and so I think that the ending of this this trilogy or this movie drives that home even more so, and it does a great job of kind of calling back to the original film or the, or the first film in Nolan's movie with, with 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 the the League of Shadows and Talia al Ghul and how Bane's a part of that. And so I think all that was really well done. And the villains in this one, while they don't exceed or match what Heath Ledger did, it's hard to do that. I think they were all really well done. I thought Bane was a really good villain. I think for especially I remember hearing when Nolan decided to make Bane the villain, knowing that the, 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 the comics character, especially in the animated show of how Bane's portrayed, where he's just kind of human, but then he's somebody who takes a super venom serum and becomes this kind of steroid freak. How are they going to adopt that into what no one likes to do, where it's much more grounded in reality and feels real, like it's in the real world? How is he gonna be able to do that? And he made him basically a mercenary, and he made him somebody who's already built up. He has the mask because of something that happened in his past. So he was able to kind of work it out, I think, really, really well. And I know people had an issue with the mask the way that it that it, that his 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 voice sounds and all that you can't really understand him, but I still hear Bane quotes today just as much as I do with Heath Ledger's Joker. Whether they're mocking it or not, I don't know, but they're still very memorable quotes. So I think they did something right with the villain, and Tom Hardy does I think a really good job, especially since he's not moving his mouth. So a lot of his his acting is through expressions, and I think he does a really good job of that. And him and Bale together are awesome, and I, and I think there was a lot of pressure on. Hathaway kind of taking on the mantle of Selena Kyle and Catwoman and the fact that nobody had played that since the 80s with with Michelle Pfeiffer, or excuse me, in the 90s when Batman Returns came out with with, with her, and she did a great job. I think she was definitely one of the standout performances. She was somebody who you wanted to root for, but you didn't know what what side she was playing on. The chemistry between her and Bruce were amazing. The only one that I think was kind of could have been worked up a little bit better just because of the big reveal that she's talia al ghul is marion Cotier i think especially because a lot of these people like ann and and tom hardy joseph gordon uh, and, and, and Marion Cotillard, they are all coming from Inception. So he, uh, Nolan was kind of mixing up the two cast together to bring this awesome ensemble and seeing her kind of reunite with Nolan, I was excited to see what she was going to be. I just wish she she got a little bit more time to develop and that it made the twist kind of of bigger than it, it became because it was a good twist but I think it would have had a bigger impact if, if you really kind of developed the, the, the relationship between her and Bruce a little bit more. I just felt like if there was one character that was left out of the cold a little bit it was her character a little bit but it made sense to make her the main villain in the end because again it ties into the the, the Ra's al Ghul storyline and destroying Gotham but but Batman believes Gotham is is, is worth saving it, it it tied into all that stuff so I think overall Nolan did a great job in utilizing that the fact that he used IMAX cameras again there were some great battle sequences pulled some things right out of the comics so again overall I just think that the Dark Knight Rises is had a big hill to climb, and it, it it exceeded it. Not in 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 great ways. Not over the top, but it exceeded the expectations and I think delivered at least on, on those expectations and delivered a really good time and an entertaining time and was, was a part of, of what I consider to be a great summer season between the Avengers and then and Prometheus and Ted and, and the Dark Knight Rises. That was a really engaging, entertaining summer to look forward to movies and the Dark Knight Rises was a big part of that and, and, and I don't think Nolan is ever going to really kind of come back to these films. I, I just don't see him wanting to. I think he wants to do original ideas and and even though The Dark Knight Rises is, is really good it definitely felt like Nolan didn't really want to come back to this franchise. I think even he didn't he never wanted to come back and do The Dark Knight but he wanted to make something with the Joker and so that was kind of his in to making that movie and I think Warner Brothers because of the success of The Dark Knight they wanted a sequel but Nolan wanted to do Inception and he wanted to do all these original ideas that he had so I think it became at least for that time it was uh you do one for me i do one for you and that one for him was inception and he decided to finish off his dark knight trilogy for them and since then he's just been making the films he's been wanting to make since then with interstellar dunkirk tenet and now next year with with oppenheimer although it won't be with warner brothers it will be with a new studio in universal pictures but again no one i think crafted truly one of the great trilogies of all time i think when you look at all three of them together they tell a story spanning from all three films themes ideas that tell i think one big story from kind of beginning to end that you that feel wrapped up together no really kind of loose ends no kind of big questions left unhanging really and i think all all most characters 95% of the characters are left with satisfying conclusions at the end of their journeys of Rises. So what did you guys think about The Dark Knight Rises? Did you see it in theaters when it came out 10 years ago in 2012? Did you, did you not? Let me know what you thought about The Dark Knight Rises and does it still hold up for you today? I know for me, it still does. It's on Netflix right now and I might be watching it either tonight or sometime this weekend in honor of the 10 year anniversary. So what do you guys think about it? Even in today's circumstances, does it still hold up to you? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Now, moving on to the ultimate preview of the week, and that, of course, is the first Comic Con, full on Comic Con since 2019 since the pandemic hit, is officially back in Hall H at the convention center over at San Diego. And I'm have a. So I'm, i I'm here to break down everything that's going to be going on at Comic-Con right now, kind of previewing some of the major stuff that is set to hit Hall H this year. And it's great to kind of have that because one of the things, especially if you're somebody that follows a lot of this stuff, when you look forward to the summertime, you look forward to the summer movie season, you look forward to concerts. But if you're a nerd and, and you're in the geekdom, well, one of the things that you always look forward to, of course, is San Diego Comic-Con at the end of July. And it's crazy to think that we're even here, but we are. And after 2019, where well, that was the last major convention. The last two years, it was more at-home stuff. Nobody really paid attention to it. So this is really the first time where We're going to be getting new panels. We're going to be getting announcements and and really cool showcases for a lot of highly anticipated television shows and movie projects that are going to be coming down the pipeline in just the next couple of months, but also it seems like in the next couple of years as well. And of course, the big one that people are going to be really looking forward to is, of course, the Marvel Studios panel that is set to happen on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here, which will be around 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, over in the West Coast in San Diego and the LA area. And again, you don't need me to say anything more about this panel. It's Marvel. Kevin Feige always delivers it every single time with this panel from 2019, where he delivered really kind of the initial phase four slate to introducing the Avengers back in 2011 between the announcements of the Guardians, the Winter Soldier, all the films that have come out over the last 12 plus years from the Marvel brand. It's really Hall H whenever we talk about inceptions of what created things and have thanks towards, I think if you ever talk to Kevin Feige, Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con is a big reason for the success of the MCU in today's day and age. They know how to put on a great show. Kevin Feige is a huge showman and knows how to deliver and work a crowd. And this is the kind of environment that I think he loves to be in, that he thrives in. And so I think it's gonna be one that fans are very much looking forward to. There, People are wondering if we're gonna be getting major new announcements, whether it's the full-on casting announcement of Fantastic Four, whether it's the announcement of kind of what this slate of films or what this is all kind of leading to. Is it Secret Wars? Is it something else? Are we gonna get the announcement of some X-Men stuff, especially after what happened in a certain moment? Marvel show that just initially happened. Could we get be getting some new announcements about that? Could we be getting some announcements on a Captain America four, Loki season two? So there's a lot of interesting stuff that could come out out of this panel. Now the big question I think coming out of it or going into it is what's going to be announced and what's not going to be, and what's going to be saved for D23. And according to a report that just came out a few a few hours ago from Deadline, it seems like at least at the moment that Kevin Feige is gonna be really kind of just initially focused on the immediate future of what's coming out in the MCU. It seems like they're gonna be showcasing really the first details, footage, announcements for black panther wakana forever everything we've heard about the film has been rumors and speculation at this point with other the only concrete details the last concrete detail that we got of this film was the, the main title card in that it was going to be black panther wakana forever last year other than that we, we really have no idea what else is going to be happening in this film how is it going to be de- dealing with the passing of chadwick boseman what's going to be happening with the, the with the T'Challa character who takes over the black panther mantle All that, I think all that's going to be answered and showcased in the Hall Age panel. They also said that we're going to be getting new details on She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, which is the next MCU Disney Plus show that's after the shorts that come out for I Am Groot a week before on August 10th. So it seems like that's going to be also there. Also, it seems like they, they, we could be getting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and also some potential stuff coming in the media future, like the Guardians Galaxy Holiday Special, or also in, in the case of something like maybe Ant Man of the Wasp: Quantum Mania it seems like it's going to be very immediate and it seems like they could be holding off all the big announcements, the big reveals for D23. Now, I think there are going to be surprises that happen there because, again, Kevin Feige is somebody who loves to bring it. He wants people to get their money's worth when they go to Hall H and so I don't think he's going to want to shortchange any of the audience members there. I think this is a huge Hall H for the MCU in general and you might be saying, well, Sam, how is that? They're, they're a huge successful franchise. They They, they, they don't need this but in retrospect they do they actually need this because i do think that even though doctor Strange of the multiverse of madness ha- has been successful financially and Thor Love and Thunder, it's, there's been a little bit more of a unbalance a little bit, a little bit more uncertainty than there has been in the MCU in quite some time. And I think they realize that. I think Kevin Feige and his leadership board realize that they need to kind of flesh out of what's really going on because, again, with Phase 4, you're in, we're introducing all these new elements, but we don't have a clear vision. We don't even have a clear immediate vision of what where Phase 4 is really going to end. Because even with at least Phase 1 and even Phase 2, Two, we we were introducing some new elements, especially in phase one, introducing all these characters. But we realized at the time what the end game was for that phase, and that was bringing them together for an Avengers film. With this one, are we leading to an Avengers film? Are we leading to a young Avengers? Is this one of the phase gonna be all of secret wars? Is that what we're leading up to? Is it gonna be something else? Where, where are we going? And so I think they just need to not give everything away, but just establish a blueprint a little bit, kind of like what they did in 2014 a little bit, where Kevin Feige, on a random day on the weekday, sat journalists and fan members down at the El Capitan Theater and said, this is our Phase 3 slate, and we're leading up to the big kabang with both, at the time, what was Infinity War Part 1 and Infinity War Part 2, which Part 2 eventually became known as Avengers Endgame. So I think that's what he kind of needs to do right now, where it's like, this is where the immediate future is leading up. If you are focused on where Kate Bishop and all these other young kids are going. We're leading to a new Avengers show or movie down the line, or where this is all leading to a Fantastic Four movie. This is all leading to something coming in the immediate future. So I think this is a big Hall H panel. I think this is a big convention run. For Marvel Studios with both Hall H and D23, so th- there's still going to be a lot of stuff to look forward to. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I think it, it, Kevin Feige is going to bring the the no pun intended the the, the love and the thunder with this w- with this panel and truly showcase why he's a master at, at doing this and why the MCU is where it is today in terms of getting the hype and anticipation and the and the payoff of all this stuff that comes. And then of course it's it's rivals, it's partner, whatever you want to call it in dc and the dceu i said it before and i'll say it again if there's one person that can match the intensity of a marvel studios panel like kevin feige in terms of showmanship and delivering it's the one and only Dwayne the rock johnson he's going to be making his first ever major hall h panel at san diego comic-con on saturday as well more towards the afternoon side where he is going to be there for a Black Adam panel where we'll probably get a new trailer. There'll be a, a Hall Age panel where it'll probably be introducing the Justice Society of America. Juan Calet Sierra, who is a director of the film, will also be there as well. Alongside Black Adam, we are also gonna be getting a Shazam Fury of the Gods panel as well. So we also could be getting a teaser trailer that isn't just shown at Hall H, but is released for the worldwide public to see as well. So we could be getting at two, a- and and, and, and for and for Dwayne Johnson, he's going to be wanting to bring the again, no pun intended, the thunder to hall h and try to be the person that gains all the headlines and the rock is somebody who even though everyone wants their share of the pie he's a competitive guy and he wants the headlines in the end he wants to be the number one person on those headlines and if if that involves black adam and and although and in the entire dc slate that they're bringing to hall h that's what he's going to want it to focus on so i do think there is going to be a big announcement given for DC at Hall H. Now, I always thought it was going to be the announcement because they have Shazam and Black Adam there and they're both connected in the comics that they could announce that it's going to be a Black Adam versus Shazam movie that's going to be coming down the pipeline in the next couple of years. So that's still something that could be a, a big possibility. However... It's been reported by Deadline and their Comic-Con preview that Henry Cavill could be showing up and in, in giving some announcements or some news in regards to the future of Superman in the universe down the line. And if there's one other big character, one of the Trinity characters that makes a big presence within the world of Shazam and Black Adam, it's the Man of Steel. And there's always been the rumors and the tie-ins between Dwayne Johnson and... and and Henry Cavill, especially since they both share kind of the same representation. So there's always been kind of that that attachment to the hip kind of in a way of that. Maybe Dwayne Johnson could somehow revitalize Superman and Henry Cavill's version of Superman back into this franchise and get him to appear in some of these films. So maybe we get a Black Adam Shazam team up or, or a Black Adam Shazam film, and maybe Superman is a part of it as well, or we get a Black Adam Shazam or, or, yeah, Black Adam Superman announcement as well, or that Superman is going to have a big presence potentially in that corner of the DCEU. So it sounds like Henry Cavill could be making a big splash at Comic-Con this year. Again, that's only just reports and rumors at this point. There's nothing concrete at this particular moment in time, but I'm hoping that something happens because I think one of the biggest questions has been, is this guy ever going to come back? Is he ever going To get a chance to redeem himself, redeem the character once again with Superman because people love him. It's just unfortunate that he was so swept up in the drama of the Zack Snyder stuff and Justice League and BVS that it just, a Superman, a proper Superman sequel never fully materialized itself as it should have. And people are wondering if we could ever get that once again. So, I think for dc that could be some big stuff that happens i don't think we're gonna get stuff for aquaman In The Flash, I think they'll save that stuff for a later time, whether it's whether we get an announcement of a DC fandom happening or they just decide to roll that stuff out on its own in their own marketing push for the films. I don't think we're going to get that. I think they're going to focus on the immediate future of the DC franchise and focus on the two big films that they have coming out in the second half of 2022. But again, I think there is going to be a big announcement or two that is given there that is going to focus on the corner of Shazam and Black Adam because I think. That is where the the success, the the non-drama stuff is happening over in the DC universe right now that isn't also, of course, named Matt Reeves and the Batman. And that stuff is kind of its own thing as well. But I they're, they're still well into the pre-production stage and in, in the early process of making that sequel. So I'm sure the, well, the first time we might hear inklings of what's going to be happening in that sequel is sometime next year. But for right now, I think it's only about the focus on the two big things that are coming out in – the end of this year so that's with dc and then of course the other two big things i think to look out for are house of dragon panel and of course lord of the rings the rings of power i think amazon clearly from what i've seen from pictures that from press that are already there amazon is already making the the big marketing boost for this weekend and i think that you're going to be seeing that more so excuse me in the next couple of, of, of weeks because this is a huge investment for Amazon and they want to get as many eyeballs on it as they possibly can and they're going to have a big panel in regards to Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power so we'll see where it's able able to go. I'm sure we'll get another full trailer in when it when it does debut on Friday. So we'll see. But this is a big weekend for both panels and conventions. Because again, for House of the Dragon, it's about Game of Thrones winning back some of maybe the the skeptics that could be at Hall H that are intrigued, but they don't know. And this could be the time to kind of sway more people back into their favor and get people back onto the franchise's back. And then the last one that I want to talk about is the Dungeons and Dragons movie that is set to come out. Early next year, stars Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, reggae Jean Page is in it, and I wouldn't be as interested in Dungeons and Dragons, but Stranger Things, I think for me and a lot of people outside of the culture, have people interested in it at least. Whether we play it or not, that's something else. But I think the name Dungeons and Dragons carries a lot more weight. Thanks to the Duffer Brothers and what Stranger Things has been able to do for that game and the pop culture and how integrated it is into the Stranger Things storylines. And so for the movie, you have a stacked cast. I think it's going to bring some great fantasy elements, some great action as well. So the preview for that one, I wouldn't be shocked if we get something that is given to the the audience to see, not just in Hall H, but also in the worldwide view as well. And that's going to be really the first major panel that is set to happen tomorrow. And it's going to be the one that kind of kicks off Hall H in a big way. Once again, after many, many years away, what feels like many, many years away, but it's only really been two years again since 2019 but for comic-con this this is big for them and i've seen reports that they're gonna have a lot of people mask up you have to bring proof of vaccination take multiple tests they're really going all out and i think they want to bring people back i think this is a great way to bring people and excite people give something for them something to do during the summertime i think it's nice that the studios are bringing stuff to san diego comic-con this year that they want to be included in it once again and they're gonna deliver for the fans who, who have been away for so long and want a great experience and I think I think they're gonna get it this year and I think all the things that are going to be happening it's gonna be a great weekend a weekend filled with a lot of news a lot of surprises a lot of things that to look forward to a lot of new details on projects that are already in the can but we know nothing about like a Wakanda forever so I think it's gonna be really exciting and really enjoyable and again I'll be having and covering it all on the on the Monday or the Tuesday Tuesday of next week once I do my podcast for that so be on the lookout for that for sure when I kind of recap everything going on at San Diego Comic-Con this year but overall what did you guys what do you guys think about this year's Comic-Con what are you looking forward to are you looking forward to the MCU panel or more of what DC's bringing in both Black Adam and Shazam let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts and the final thing that I want to talk about on the podcast today is, of course, doing my annual weekend preview, which is to go over everything coming out in theaters and also on streaming services alike. And there's really only one big film coming up this weekend, and we are kind of hitting the the quarter point of the summer movie season, Thor Love and Thunder was really kind of the last big, huge, anticipated title in terms of IP-driven stuff that has come out. But there are still some kind of diamonds in the rough, some underdogs and some films that could make a lot of noise. And one of them is coming out this week in the latest from writer-director Jordan Peele in Nope, which stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Stephen Young. And the basic premise that is given to us from IDMB and Wikipedia for this film that is very much obscure in plot details and anything that's really going on in the film but according to the synopsis it's about random objects that fall from the sky that result in the death of their father ranch owning siblings oj and emerald haywood attempt to capture video evidence of an unidentified flying object with the help of tech salesman angel torres and documentarian antlers holst and again it stars kiki palmer daniel kaluuya Stephen young and michael Wincott as well so it's great to see him back in here as well and the 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 review embargo for this one, has been, was pushed back a little bit. The the, the social media re- embargo came out on Monday night and then today was the so, was the full-on review embargo for people to pull out their full thoughts on the film. And usually when you get films that come out this late, it's usually that they, A, don't want to, uh, they don't want spoilers to get out there and B, it's usually that they don't think the film is good and they want to push the bad press as far as they possibly can towards the opening of the film's release so they can at least get the opening week Weekend crowd out there without dr- driving people away from seeing it at the at the theaters and ruin their potential box office changes. So that's usually what happens when you push reviews so late. But it seems like overall that it is the the former with with Nope and that it is just because of the reviews that this goes to the credit of Jordan Peele, that he is at that point in just his third feature that Universal doesn't want any spoilers to get away from this film and that they want audiences to experience it as best as they possibly can on the big screen and see all the fun surprises that Jordan Peele has in store with us on this film. And of course, for Peele, I mean, Get Out is a phenomenal film i really enjoy us so for me i'm really excited for nope i really enjoy the trailers that have come out for the film so far i love the cast that he has i mean reuniting with his with his star from get out and daniel kaluuya bringing Kiki palmer involved in this is great with around 95 reviews i remember around 60 it had 90 but now it's dropped with a few more reviews right now to 81 percent so Definitely not as high as as Get Out or even Us, but it seems like this is still a fun film that a lot of people seem to have enjoyed about the, the film. And according to the critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes, it says that Nope is admirable for its originality and ambition, even when its reach extends its grasp. Nope adds Spiel, 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 excuse me, Spielbergian spectacle to Jordan Peele's growing arsenal. It's kind of a hard word to say, Spiel, Spielbergian, and basically saying that it takes a lot of stuff from the great works of Steven Spielberg. I mean, I've heard a lot of things about this film, that it's it's Jordan Peele's jaws, it has inklings to close encounters of the third kind, which if you see the trailers, it seems like this is about kind of, of, of trying to see a UFO and it's about dealing with, with with spectacle and wonder and the consequences of all that. So again, the trailers give some things into the, some of the plot, but it still seems like it's hiding a lot of stuff. So I'm really excited about this film. Again, I, I really enjoyed Jordan Peele's last two films. I'm excited to see him just continue as a filmmaker, and it seems like he very much got a bigger budget for this film. He got Van Hooyen to come in to do this movie, which is who is a main stay for Christopher Nolan films and knows how to work IMAX cameras. And and this film was, was shot with IMAX cameras for the spectacle. So it really seems like he's upping his game. And I'm really excited to see what else he's able to do with this film. And also what makes Jordan Peele so great is that he delivers spectacle, but he also delivers on commentary and these themes that are very, prevalent in today's day and age as well so that's what makes him such a unique talent and I think I'm sure Universal wants to keep working for him for as many years as they possibly can it seems like this also kind of showcases what Jordan Peele was always known for before doing these kind of movies was his comedy aspect and, and his comedic chops and timing And it seems like this one continues to utilize those as well so I'm really excited for this film it's tracking at around 50 million dollars right now i think it could potentially over exceed not by a whole lot i don't think it's going to hit over 100 million dollars but i do think it could make anywhere between 80 to 70 million dollars this weekend i think it's over, it's going to over exceed expectations i think jordan peele is becoming that kind of name brand where you go see a film because of the director I think he could one day get up there where he's making seven eight hundred million dollar grosses like a uh, Christopher Nolan does he, he's getting up there in the names like a Quentin Tarantino where you go see it because it is a Jordan Peele movie not because of the cast although the cast is not a benefit but you want to see what kind of crazy amazing ideas this guy has worked up and he's earned that right even three films in he's earned that right to really kind of ask that with what he's been able to just in two features prior to Nope so I'm really looking forward to this one excited about. About it i'm gonna try to see it on an imax screen right now in the biggest possible way what about you guys are you guys excited for it? nope are you gonna see it? are you not gonna go see it let me know down below and leave your thoughts and that's the only film coming out this weekend. It's a big one, but it's the only one coming out both on streamers and in theaters as well. Although The Gray Man is also coming out on Netflix this weekend. I did talk about it last weekend when it was set to hit around 400 theaters around the world. It's going to be hitting worldwide on Netflix tomorrow. So I'll definitely be watching it then and I'll be giving my review over the weekend on that film. Also on Nope as well. So again, a little light, but also very top heavy in both The Gray Man coming out on Netflix and of course Nope Hitting the big screens this weekend. So, what do you guys think about this weekend preview? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the San Basile Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro. The number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast Solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website. Ambiguous Podcast Solutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code Ambiguous. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B U S E L L S A M U E L. And also on Facebook at Sam Also, you can check out my YouTube channel at The Sam Bissell Podcast. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.